Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Georgian trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! What up, what up? Welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name's Nick Ingvall, and I'm with my guys Mike and Robbie to talk some kicks, but to do it a little bit differently today. What's going on, fellas? How you guys doing? Hey, you know, doing all right, man. Doing all right. Um, you know, ready to kind of do something a little different today. I'm good. I'm I'm doing the best I can. I think I think we're all trying to do the best we can. But um, another technically beautiful day. The weather's nice. I can see the mountains. Um, Remembering the positive thing. Crazy times. But um, so this episode, we want to do something a little different, and it comes from uh, Mario Restores. If you uh, don't follow him on Instagram, it's Mario with two R's. Uh, underscore restores. He's a sneaker restorer, actually based out of my hometown of Sacramento. He suggested that we actually interview each other to give you guys some insight on who we are, how we got into sneakers, and kind of our journey in sneakers, as opposed to the bits and pieces that you get to hear throughout the episodes of the podcast normally. So we figured we'd take this opportunity to start off by Mike and I interviewing Robbie. Robbie, you ready for the tough questions? Ready for the ring of death. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with maybe just, uh, let's start without any sneaker stuff. And let's hear where you're from, kind of how you, uh, I guess, grew up, moved around, whatnot, those kind of things. Just give a, a short bio about yourself without any sneaker info. Yeah, um, I like long walks on the beach. Feeling jazz flute. Nah, but um, I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, my full name is Robert Benjamin Falky. If you want to like the technical, um, I don't particularly pronounce my last name any which way because the grandparents are very inconsistent with it. So it's like Falky, Falchi. I don't care. They said it both ways, so I say it both ways. Um, but, um, 30 years old, I came from Las Vegas. I think I just said that, but, um, outside of that, I went to college in Minnesota, moved around like Northern California for a second and then back to Vegas. And I've been in Portland, Oregon since 2015, moved up here to try to make, um, my hoop dreams work. Um, if you consider a hoop dream working at Nike, so that's the most shoe part I'll go into it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big foodie. I think everybody likes eating food. 
but um, I particularly find great joy in eating food. Um, keep saying, um, cause I'm just like, when, when you're asked to like give random thoughts about yourself that aren't probably your biggest identifier, which is shoes, um, it gets a little awkward. You're like, man, what is Robbie really like without the tag of shoes? But, uh, I mean, I can attest to Robbie's, uh, good taste in food because when I was up in Portland, he took me around to a couple of spots and he also sent me some fire pretzels recently. So, uh, food, nice. food definitely gets, gets the cosine on this side at least. <laughs> and I'm weird. It's like, uh, I could definitely live off of like vegan fruit bowls and chicken fingers. Like if, if those were the two things I could eat forever and it's like acai bowls and chicken strips, I'd be straight. So how about, how about sneakers? Let's, let's get into, well, let's, let's start with like the first pair of sneakers that you could remember maybe having, like that actually mattered to you, I should say. Yeah. That's a great distinction you make because for a long time, uh, pairs would just show up and they'd either be like airwalks. I remember one time in particular, they were sketchers and I was like, mom, what the hell? I even had quote unquote taste in shoes. I just saw them like, nah, like these are just instantly a no go. And I must've been like 12 years old. and I'm not wearing these. Um, that was shut down real quick. But the first like real pair I remember were the Orlando home pair of penny twos that my stepdad bought me when I started taking I want to say basketball lessons. I got like a private coach before that was cool, I guess, like a shooting coach. And I was just wearing like random like Marshalls Nikes up into that point. And then he's like, here, have these. Because he was a Penny Hardaway fan. So he's like, have these. And that was probably like 2002, 2001-ish, like whenever that retro was. Um, I should have researched that. But that was the first pair I distinctly remember before – the answer seven, um, pardon me, the answer five came into my life. Um, and like the white and silver pair, those were like the first pair I was really, really like enamored with. I looked at them all the time, seeing Iverson play on TV. The, the dots connected really quick for me. He was probably before Kobe or it was like Shaq and Iverson, like my two favorite people on earth when I was young. So it's like, Probably those two, the, the first pairs that I really remember, like holding the penny two and like rubbing like the, the bubble, like the silver bubble around the ankle and like <laughs> the lines go like the flowing lines going across, you know, like the quarter of the shoe. And it's like really like feeling them and being like, oh, th these are these are cool. Like I, I legitimately like these. So those are probably the, the first ones I distinctly remember. Not like just. Did you feel like you could run higher, jump faster when you got those? I didn't know what I thought. I, I thought, <laughs> I, um, I mean, it was funny because it's like before, I think nowadays you're like, oh, I thought I could shoot like Steph Curry. So it's like anybody can shoot if you work hard enough. But like I was, I'm still not fast. I've never been fast. I've never been explosive. So my, my game was nothing like Shaq or Iverson at that point in my life. Let's <laughs> <laughs> put it that way. Well, shoot. Now, you got the first pair that you remember getting. Like, now, what is the you know, first pair you bought with your own money that you remember? So 
before I jump into that, Nick and I were talking about um, like a weird like uh, bookmark in a sneakerhead's life. Uh, I call it the the BJ and AJ, the the bef- the before Jordans and after Jordans. And so it's like it's funny because if you listen to this podcast, like I'm diehard Nike. I don't like Reebok. Um, like very set in my ways. And before Jordans hit my life, damn, like, yeah, I, I like Nike. That's cool. But like Reeboks are really cool. I liked Puma. Like I liked all these different things before I had Jordans. And then once I had the Jordans, it was like, oh, shit, things, things done change forever. Um, and that was the Jordan 18. So like they weren't the first pair I remember, nor the first pair I bought for myself. But my dad bought them for me, the black and royal Air Jordan 18s with the brush and the towel. I left that towel at a 24-hour fitness like five years ago. It breaks my damn heart. I don't bring towels to the gym anymore. Um, Yeah, I lost the branded Air Jordan 18 towel and it hurts. But that was like the the first like fully like belly dot, belly flop into the pool that is shoes was the 18. And once I got that, I started really like paying attention more. Uh, every time my family went to the grocery store, I would hound them to buy me the slam magazine out of the magazine section. I'm sure other people who grew up in the nineties and early two thousands also hounded their parents to get magazines, but when they still sold magazines, I guess. Um, but I would just like pick up all the slams and just like stare at the shoes and like see the Jordan 17 and 18 and just be like, okay, I'm going to start like memorizing all this stuff. So like AJ after Jordans is when I bought my first pair of shoes with my own money. And I was telling Nick, I'm pretty sure the first pair I bought with my own money was the tweed SB dunk, the Brown with like hemp looking tweed on the side. Pretty sure I got them from Sweet 160 in Vegas. And that was nice. 2004. So I was in eighth grade. And I'm, I'm pretty sure the tweed, the first pair I bought with my own money, or it was like one of my favorite shoes of all time. I've talked about it many times. The 2K4 Hirachi. I might have bought that one first with my own money. But it was one of those two. I mean, either, either of them make it for a, a really good choice for, for a sneaker. Yeah. The 2K4, that shoe... I could, I could write, you know, love letters to that shoe. Like it was a person. <laughs> I, I still have them. I, I bought two pairs. Uh, it was the first shoe I ever bought two pairs of. Um, and I still have first of all, the soles are separated. Um, they're definitely not wearable in any sense, but it literally brings back just like the good memories of like playing with your friends at the park, um, biffing it really hard at a middle school, um, basketball tryout so like pain and suffering but also joy with that shoe um, all the PEs that's when I started really like being in love with basketball like fully like really really loving basketball and obviously Kobe wore that shoe so it's like the 2k4 I go back and forth if I, if I had to go in the grave with a pair of shoes on it might be that 2k4 white black and red or the navy blue with a uh, white swoosh and red piping, the Yukon colorway. So, so since you're talking about important shoes, what is 
what is one of your grails that you actually own? And, and I guess maybe tell us a little bit about the shoe, obviously, but then tell us why it's important to you. Yeah. Um, I thought about this one pretty hard and there's like three that come to mind. I'll give the abridged version on two and then the superficial reason for the third one. But the first two are the true blue three and the white cement Jordan four. Uh, both of those shoes I saw in that slam magazine around, you know, 2002, 2003, 2004. Um, they weren't, they weren't retroing at that time. So I couldn't get them. I would just see them and I would see them on the, I would notice them in the streets and like freak out a little bit. And when I finally had the opportunity to buy those shoes, um, like the stars aligned, I had a job, I was out of college because those shoes retroed on, I was in college and I didn't have a job nor money. So it couldn't happen then either. So like 2016 and 17, uh, I had money, I had time, I had like this, the stars aligned for me to be able to make those purchases on my own. And this is going to be a weird theme if we talk about it enough. I buy a lot of shoes on the toilet. And I remember buying both of those shoes when I was using the restroom. (laughs) 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 On finish line or Foot Locker, like a week early. I I know the True Blues released like three days early on one of those two sites. And I was just like, you know, reading Twitter on the John, like a lot of people do. (laughs) And it's like, I, I got the link and I was like, oh crap time to do this so i bought the shoes and i was just so happy like kobe wearing the the true blue in the all-star game being pictured with t-mac i'm pretty sure that was featured in slam but you can find the picture all over the place um that's just like probably the defining sneaker moment of my life like history wise is that all-star game all the beautiful shoes that were worn um that was like my coming out party of sneakers but um so the <laughs> three and the white cement four but in my collection, like my favorite pair I own truly are the off-white UNC ones. Like, and it's for superficial reasons too. Like, I think everybody should have like a cornerstone in their collection that's like a rare, expensive, hyped up shoe. Like really not like very much like attachment to it emotionally. But I put them out at the mantle and I look at them since I'm quarantined. And I like look at them like once a week. I think they're really pretty. Um, they're the only pair of Jordans I've ever owned where there are no mistakes on them. There's no, there's no paint where there shouldn't be. There's no glue where it shouldn't be. There's no um, loose stitching. There's no um, like when they poke out the the holes for the laces. You'll find like that messed up sometimes on Jordans. None of that going on. It's truly are the only pair of Jordans that are perfect that I've ever owned. I, I can name at least one factory flaw on every single pair that I own. Like I guarantee you, except for that pair. And, um, which speaks to the, you know, the craftsmanship. I know a lot of people either love off white or they don't care or they hate Virgil. There's many different polarizing views on those shoes, but they're even more special to me because, um, I got them through trade. And I think that's like a lost art in sneakers. I think it's all about trying to buy whatever you can on release day and post it on StockX. The second you get that, I got them, got them email from Nike or whatever retailer you're buying them from. And just to not even enjoy the shoes and just to let them, you know, to sell them as quickly as you can because they're a commodity. Like 
back in the day, I've traded, I mean, hunt like a lot, a lot of, I've owned a lot of shoes because of trading. You know, I buy them. Um, I don't like them that much. So I trade them for a shoe I do like more, wear them for a while, trade that for another shoe I like, and just do that for like, probably, I think at one point, eight different shoes. I just kept trading and trading and trading and trading. And it's like mixing <laughs> them up a little bit. But I love collecting, but I don't feel the need to have hundreds of shoes anymore like that I, I grew out of that stage um a while ago it feels like but i got the off-white air force one from the sneakers release of the original 10 and it's like my only real sneakers win and i don't wear air forces so i sat on them for like three years and then i traded them for the off-white uncs which is a shoe i will definitely wear once you know, I can go outside and show people that I own them because that's why you own that shoe. <laughs> it's super superficial. <laughs> it's not deep. It's not cool. I'm sure people hate hearing stuff like that. But deep down inside, if you own a really pair of shoes, you know, for damn sure you enjoy flaunt, like you enjoy stunting in them. It's just like it's a talking piece. It's a, you know, it shows you're with it, like whatever you know acronym you, you want to put to it it fits and it's just, it's, it's not deep, but it'd be like that. Sometimes I have shoes in there. I love that cost $30 and I, I, I hug them passionately. Then I have shoes like that where I'm just going to grab them if the apartment burns down cause they're worth a lot of money and I can restart my life with them. It's stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> it's not, uh, it's not that deep, but just probably be that shoe in my collection right now. No, no. Speaking of like your trading and things like that, what's your craziest come up, whether it be something that was on sale or something you just kind of, you know, unexpectedly traded for and it just like spiked in value or something like that? Uh, I can tell you every come up I've missed in my life. <laughs> That's like easy. I got highlighted in my brain every shoe I didn't get when I should have bought. Um, but my best come up, um, I mean, real talk, again, people hate hearing this, but when like somebody at Nike sends me a really rare shoe, <laughs> it's like, oh shit, this is free and dope. <laughs> that, that could come up. Um, but um, within trades, I want to say, um, and this is definitely shows how Jordans have, have changed. Um, I traded a couple pairs of GR dunks. And this is like, I'm talking like Nordstrom rack dunks. You could probably buy for like 40 bucks in 2006 2007 i think i traded like three pairs of them for a pair of white flip threes and that's when like Dang. white were super hard um these were like 2000 i want to say like 2008 it's probably when i did that and i later in life got the black flips i wish i had both of those shoes but via trade i now own neither one but uh yeah trading some like and i remember buying the dunks from northern frack it was like a, a white and sale pair um, a green, like Irish looking pair and like a knockoff pair that looked like you, um, UNLV dunks, but they weren't, uh, traded those three for the, for the white flips. And at the time, like the, that time of Jordans, like 2005 to 2007, super coveted on the, like the, I guess there wasn't a resale market, but there was, it was just, it looked different, but on, on the secondary market, like those shoes you know, like thunders, lightnings, cool gray fours, um, peapot eights, uh, uh, 
uh, Maze Sevens. Like you can go on and on. What's up? Facebox. I can't remember the year. I'm trying to think of yeah. boxes that were Jordan. Yeah, face boxes, um, like the the chrome. I mean, like the silver side boxes that were shiny. Uh, there's a, a lot of heat that that were very very coveted at that time. So I want to say the white flips probably my, my my best come up. That's a pretty good one, and and you hit, you hit on a good point. It is it is a lost art trading. Um, people don't talk about it much, but you can definitely. You know, you could definitely get some good stuff because there's more there's everybody has different personal values on things. Right. So like, you know, those examples, you know, that person that you traded might have been totally into the shoes they were getting and were like, I'm not even going to wear these, you know, flips. Right. So. Well, and what's and the thing about trading is everybody thinks their stuff is worth so much when you're trying to get rid of it. It's like you, you have to let go of that ego. And understand that the other person probably is trying to come up also. So, I mean, I've made a lot of even trades. That's why I had a hard time thinking about my biggest come up. I made a lot of even trades because it's just like, oh, a LeBron, when LeBrons were really hot, like seven through 10, traded so many of those shoes because I wanted a pair of Jordans. But at that time, you know, face value of, of LeBrons were really high. And so, I mean, it, it worked for both parties. So you, you got to remember that like your stuff isn't worth it. It's always worth more to you because it's yours, but to a buyer, it's a completely different relationship or a trader, tradee. Very true. Yep. Most definitely. So now what about your like work in the sneaker world? Cause I know you worked at uh foot locker Nike. I can't remember, but um, talk a little bit about that, like what your experience was like, what you loved about it, what you hated about it, and if you would do it again, if everything else went away. You couldn't pay me right now, and then that's what a job is, paid work, to work at a retail store. <laughs> I, could be, I could be the GM who like oversees four stores. And I'm like, nah, fam. And that is like the last thing I would want to do. <laughs> Um, I have, I have, uh, proudly worn the stripes of Foot Locker, <laughs> put my stripes on. Um, and I also LeBron James, the stripes too, when I was done working there, I, I, I did LeBron James Jersey burn, both the Foot Locker shirt. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, that's the benefit of working in the desert. There's tons of area just to go burn stuff. So, um, Foot Locker, I worked there for like two years. It was a house of hoops. It was one of the biggest house of hoops in the country. The um, Miracle Mile, no, not Miracle Mile, um, Caesar's Palace on the Strip. That's the one I worked at. And yeah, I mean, it, it's cool because, you know, if you haven't worked at a Foot Locker or a retail store, it's commission based. It's like the worst commission ever in the history of Earth, but <laughs> it exists. <laughs> And you've got expensive shoes and everybody, you know, Vegas is a, you know, is a worldwide destination. So um, especially places like China and Brazil and Canada, where it's way more expensive to buy footwear, they would come in and just buy out the shop. I mean, I remember specifically the Mizuno Wave Rider and Brazilians 
are like peas and carrots. I would sell like six pairs of $250 wave creations or wave riders and so, to one person because he would bring them back to his whole family because it's there. It's like $500 here. It's two twenty-five. So I was like, of, of course you're going to buy them for the whole family and bring them back. Um, so like that was cool because your sales were there. Like if I worked at a small store, that would have been completely awful. But, um, and you also get the limited releases. So pretty much anything that came out from like 2012 to 14, I had a chance to buy cause I was assistant manager. So I was like third in command on the purchasing. I think 10% goes to staff or these 10% is supposed to go to staff. Um, so I was pretty up on that, pretty high up on that hierarchy. So I copped a lot of stuff that I no longer own. Um, but that was, that was easily the best part is having access to like the top tier house of hoops drops and not having to pay full price for them. I remember stuff like the bread 11 and like, you know, that's when people would like literally like beat other people up trying to leave the store for their Jordans and like being very happy. I didn't have to deal with that hoopla. Like every big Jordan release, I was like, man, I'm so happy. I don't have to deal with this. And it's like being able to buy the shoe. That was really cool. But um, I mean, celebrities too. I mean, that was another benefit of that particular store. Um, Drew Brees comes in, uh, Floyd Mayweather. Uh, who else do I remember? Um, oh, the funny thing is if Chum Lee from Pawn Stars would come in, like you should know who he is and like wouldn't give you his ID to enter a raffle. It's like, bro, your show sucks. Like, I, I, give, me, <laughs> give me your damn ID. <laughs> he would die me nuts. <laughs> yes i know who you are but i also know who you are by chumley like that's not like a not a government name yeah <laughs> um buster rhymes like one of the coolest people ever as a like a customer buster rhymes i love you because uh, i actually told him like buster i'm a big fan of you and he dabbed me up because he went there with diddy and diddy was not talking to people but buster was like hey what's up and I was like, give me some more. Give me some more. I'm kidding. But, uh, <laughs> Robbie's last day. <laughs> no, so I mean, that's why I'm supposed to be on the do not hire list from Foot Locker. So I feel confident in talking how I'm talking because, um, after Black Friday, like 2014, they asked me to like stay and like super clean because people were coming for a visit and I took my stripes off. And I was like, I quit right now. It was like two in the afternoon. I quit in the middle of the day. And, and they were like, um, we need you to write a resignation letter. And it was something along the lines of like, I expletive hate it here. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> like, not real ignorant with that exit. <laughs> like, like, not a good look. But um, yeah. Well, they're, they're not taking me back. Yeah. During that time, like, what was your uh, what was your favorite release? Or I'm sorry, take that back. Not favorite necessarily, but what was the most memorable release you were a part of? The Bread Elevens, people losing their damn minds for that shoe. Um, but real talk would be the LeBron Ten Corks. Um, that was that was a moment in time where LeBron could do no wrong in the footwear space. Like hype was like everything was hype. Like, we couldn't keep LeBrons in the store. So that was probably, um, yeah, the cork course. Nice. Okay. Random. But just people really went, 
I mean, because you had to really be into shoes at that time, but people were losing their damn mind for that shoe. Like, I like, would try to get a pair. Of yeah, that was really. And shout out to um, people that work at shoe stores and sell that stuff. I flipped them things quick. I sold those things. I was like, um, these are worth how much? Okay, see ya. Um, <laughs> So I guess like with that said, what would you like, what would you, what piece of advice would you give someone looking to like make a living in the sneaker world? Cause obviously that was just a stepping stone for you. And, and we'll get into a little bit more of what you've done, you know, after this question. But I think too, like the, uh, you know, the, the five, 10 years ago, Robbie would, was probably way more excited to work at Foot Locker than, you know, 30-year-old Robbie, right? That's the damn truth. Um, I think before that, so the biggest thing is um, go work in a retail store. Go through that struggle um, because I also worked at a Nike town. Um, I'm putting this on the record. I have never sold anything that I've ever bought while working at Nike. Um, so put that out there for the record um because the nike time was way better than the footlocker time it was way more of a enjoyable experience um just because nike treats their um, floor employees i feel like better than footlocker did so like i had much more fun working there but the reason why you're on mute man i just went on story time on mute um, so, I mean, to answer your question, I kind of need to go one step back. Um, I also worked at, uh, house of hoops, Las Vegas, uh, pardon me, um, Nike town, Las Vegas or NTLV as it used to be known. Now it's just Nike Las Vegas. But, um, I used to work there and that's where I'll start my answer. Like you should work retail if you can, because for as much as I disliked my time at Foot Locker, Nike was a similar beast, but it operated so much differently that I didn't hate going there. Um, I mean, nobody likes cleaning up a store at midnight and folding t-shirts. That's just a given. But like, I learned so much about Nikes and I already knew a lot about Nike before working there. That's why I took the job. But having product in your hand every single day, seeing every colorway, um, Nike loves to retell their glory stories and their employees should absorb those because I learned a lot about the brand and the culture. You could look at it like, Oh shit, here's another Nike um, campfire talk, or you could listen to it and like take away from the lesson, like take a lesson away from the story and, you know, put it into your tool belt as another thing, you know, about the brand you like, because, you know, end of the day um, I do everything I do to try to work there at some point in my life. So I need to also say that while working at Nike, I never sold any product I bought while being an employee there. <laughs> Put that disclosure out there. Um, um, but that really was like the time I, I built a lot of my chops talking about shoes. So I had to sell Nikes to people. I had to, I had to tell somebody why Zoom, what, what Zoom is, what Zoom does, what the per, like why you should buy a shoe with Zoom Air in it. And having that experience, having that conversation 40 billion times makes it so I can write creatively about Zoom Air. Because, you know, if I just, 
maybe owned one or two pairs of shoes to zoom in it, or I only read about it. Um, you're not going to have the whole picture trying to sell zoom to somebody makes you have a better understanding of the product when you want to go retell that story for copywriting purposes or whatever purposes you might have. Like, let's say you're, um, let's say you want to be a footwear designer someday and you've, you've sold that product in the past, you know, at least two or three things that you would improve upon. And you can use that in your future design endeavors. Like it doesn't have to be Nike either. Like if you love Reebok or you love Adidas or you love Puma, New Balance, wherever it is, there's always retail positions open if, if there's a store around. So that's where I, I built my supreme confidence in Nike product. Cause you know, I've been reading slam and you know, Kixology and nice kicks and Nick's work at um, soul collector. And this, I've been absorbing so much before working at Nike. I worked there before working at foot locker. So this is 2011. So like I had absorbed so much knowledge and I had played sports so I had the, I had the, 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 the learned knowledge of footwear. I had the practical use of the shoes and then the selling aspect and being underneath that brand's umbrella kind of helped wrap together my package of what I can bring in footwear and like where, where my knowledge comes from. So that's why you should listen to me when I talk to you. I'm just kidding. But like, um, that kind of is why I feel like I have, um, a valid voice in footwear is because I've seen it from so many different angles that I can accurately give you a perspective that should be um, worth your time. Solid advice. Solid advice. Mike, Mike, you got a, got another question? Oh, shoot. Um, just so from, I don't know if we're going to ask this later, so I don't want to go, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but so you've done your work in the, the retail space, you know, you clearly, you know, you do your thing now with the writing and the podcast. What's the, what's the dream job? Like what's the, what's the, I don't want to say the in, in game, but you know, where do you want to see yourself eventually? Every single day I go to nike.com slash careers, whatever the URL is. And I type in Ekin, E-K-I-N, every day and I search. Because an Ekin is somebody that knows Nike um, backwards and forwards. Ekin is literally Nike spelled backwards. And they are the people that go to both, um, you know, Nike direct places like Nike Town and, um, you know, third-party vendors like Foot Locker and Finish Line. And they teach about the products. They're, they're basically Nike teachers. And I had a very impactful Eakin when I worked at Nike and I was like, man, I want to do what you do. And it's, it's, I've had friends, shout out to Landon. Um, I've had friends and Kennard. I've had so many friends who have been Eakins, um, that are now in different positions at Nike. Um, it's funny. I just said I would never work retail and Eakin is a retail position, but you're not like on the front line. You're, you're teaching before and after you're teaching in the break room. You're helping Nike employees sell Nike as best as you can, as they can and understand the history behind it. It would be my job to then be telling those campfire stories in the back, in the break room. 
So it's like, uh, that's kind of where I would love to be. And that's where I look every single day for a role at. Um, I've gotten through the, I've gotten through the interview process more than a couple times with like copy jobs at Nike and this haven't come to fruition. And that's a point I kind of want to touch on before we segue away is like, you're going to have a lot of uh, failures in your life. And then like Michael Jordan spoke into this, like he's only succeeded because he's failed. And like, I've gone to the point where like I'm sitting there for an entire day shadowing at Nike and I don't get the job. I've done that a couple times where it's like you go through so many hoops and you submit all your writing samples and it just doesn't work out. And you can either let that, um, let it bite you and you could have the F you attitude. I don't want to try anymore. Um, that comes and goes sometimes. I'm not perfect. I, I do feel like um, it, I put weight on myself to try to want to get to where I want to, to where I want to be. But uh, I have to remember that good things don't come easy and you have to keep trying. Once you stop trying, your chances end. So every single day I look, I search Eakin and I'm, once there's a job open, I have a network of people who know people who have done the job, who know people still in the job. Um, I just got to wait for the opening to come up and, and take my shot. And even me knowing people doesn't guarantee anything. Um, that's just the first step you kind of have to have is, is a network of people who are willing to support you and help you get there. But sometimes um, somebody's just better qualified or knows more than you. And, and you and you have to take that honesty pill and use that to learn more about shoes or to become better at writing or to become more, um, you know, more well-rounded in what you're trying to do. So I want to be an Eakin. It hasn't worked out yet, but uh, I'm going to keep trying and keep that uh, MJ Mamba mentality about it. Nice, man. Well, always continue luck, man. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's some great advice for sure. Um, so I got two more questions for you. Um, I guess one would be, <laughs> this kind of goes into your into your answer only because I know the answer to it. But how'd you get started uh, writing about sneakers? Man, rule numero uno, annoy the hell out of Nick. <laughs> <laughs> nah, um, I mean, so it's funny because, um, like I said, I, I, I want to be an Eakin. I've known that since like 2012. I've kind of known where I want to start my professional shoe career. But um, I didn't know how to do it, and I, I didn't know how to show that I know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a big difference um, in your head being in an interview place. Like, oh, here's well, all I know. But you have to have you have to have a resume to get you into the room to have that conversation. So I was like, all right, I know a lot about shoes. I know I know a lot about shoes. My friends know it, but the world doesn't know it. So. How can I let more people know that I know about shoes? And my degree is in English. <laughs> so uh, not the most uh, transferable degree in terms of uh, money making. I, I should have been like marketing or something. Basically, I should have thought that out more when I was 17 or 18. But um, I'm like, all right, I got a writing degree. I know a lot about shoes. I read sneaker blogs every day. Let's let's write about shoes. That's that that's going to be probably the avenue that that works for me. So um, I annoy the hell out of you. I think for I mean literally months because if you know Nick, um, Nick's not too hot at responding to stuff sometimes. <laughs> 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 and I, and I think that but you would respond, 
and you would be like, all right, yeah, later soon. Cause you know, I now know the bigger picture of why you were trying to push off sneaker history stuff. I think I saw a post on sneaker history of like the websites going away or something. And I was like, no, nah, man, don't do that. Like I can do it. And I just kept annoying you and you're like, all right, well do it. So, um, I did it. I did it like, um, many, many posts a day, every day for like a year straight. And then I was like, all right, I have a, I have a little, I, I have a portfolio now. If you go to sneakerhistory.com and like go to page 20, my name comes up nonstop. So like I can, <laughs> I can direct people towards something. So I use that and, um, you know, you always have to like, and again, I wish I knew this when I was younger and this is the importance of having mentors and thinking about long-term goals. Um, I then realized like, all right, I have a portfolio. How do I then segue into doing this more or for more people or, you know, how do I keep this train moving? Cause I don't like being static in many sense of the word. I, I, I like to move. I like to be doing things. So I was like, all right, how do I parlay this? And I've like read nice kicks since I was not since I was young, since it was young. Um, since like the, probably the first day that website existed, I probably read nice kicks. So I was like, all right, I'm going to reach out to them. And then I met, uh, you know, Matt and, uh, former employee, uh, Ian Stonebrook, who's another mentor of mine. And I started working with them. And then the homie Oscar, modern notoriety is like, Hey, let me write for you. So I was like, writing for them all the time for a little bit and just like trying to get my content in the most places possible so if somebody at nike googles my name something good comes up and if you google my name something does good does come up so that's cool um so mission accomplished there but uh that's how i got into shoes it's uh, i mean writing about shoes is being persistent i mean if somebody wants to annoy the hell out of me until i tell you you can write I, I, I welcome you to that challenge. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I guess like full, full disclosure, the reason why it really took so long is because when I initially went to StockX, um, the conversation was about buying sneaker history from me and not hiring me. Uh, so, the whole time that I was at StockX, although I wasn't competing with their business in any way, I always felt a little hesitant to go full on on the website because I didn't want them to be like, hey, you're competing. We're going to sue you or some crazy shit. Right. So uh, that that was why there was so much delay in, in like actually moving forward with anything. But I mean, I'm just glad that you were persistent with it. And I, I, the reason why I asked is because I think that just reiterates what you were saying before for, you know, the, the kid or the, or the adult man, like, I mean, you want to relive your youth and, and get into sneakers, like really just the persistence is key, whatever it is, you just, you know, and, and like, I think the conversation around getting your name out there and having your name in different places, it, it's a hundred percent the, in my opinion, it's hundred percent the best way to, make people realize how passionate you are about something because at the end of the day, you know, if, if you're hiring people, you want people that are passionate, you know, you don't want people that are just mailing it in at the job and, and being lazy. You want them to really love what they're doing because that's going to be inspiring to the people they work with, especially 
like you said, in that Eakin role. So, um, and that's like the importance, um, I kind of need to touch on this and that's the importance of like looking at who's writing stuff that you're reading. Cause that's, that's how I, I I found you, Nick's like, I read your stuff for like a while and like Russ too. I mean, um, I don't have a relationship with Russ, but like I read his shit in slam for like forever. So it's just like, I know what good writing looks like and I know who the people are. So like I, I knew how to write and I knew about shoes. I didn't know how to put the two together. So I knew I needed somebody to help me. And that speaks. So why you're a good person, Nick, to help somebody put those two together. Um, but you have to find somebody doing what, what you want to do and, and learn from them because you, you learn so much more from a mentor. If I had a mentor when I was 17, 18 in shoes, I would have gone to a completely different college. I would have majored in something else. I would have taken a lot of different steps. And you and uh, you and Ian in particular um, really like, you know, help make my writing better and improve my work and gave me the reps and I could bounce ideas off you. And it's like that kind of stuff. Um, you need to have, you need to have somebody you can bounce ideas off of who, who knows what they're doing. So, um, you know, I didn't just randomly don't just go reaching out to sneaker blogs and their DMS every day saying, give me a job, give me a job, give me a job. I, I, I wanted to genuinely learn something and grow from something and like have an end goal. So it's like, that's really important too. It's like, have a vision for what you're trying to do. Don't just go do stuff to be active. Like your, your, your focus has to be towards something. A hundred percent, man. And, and really like, I would reiterate that as someone who's basically could, uh, helped establish most of the platforms that are out there or most of the audience, you know, the, the, the accounts that are out there and the, and the sites behind them. Um, it, it's, it's the people that you want to connect with, not the, the main account, right? Like, you can have a much more open conversation with somebody after you understand who they are as a person outside of it. Right. Like that's kind of why we wanted to, to get into the, this kind of interview format with each other. Um, but, uh, anyway, I wanted to, wanted to kind of wrap up with like one last question, which you've kind of answered, but I'm going to take it a little bit, a little bit different. Um, so, I was going to ask what the one person or brand that you'd like to work with or a special project that you'd like to work on and why, but obviously, you know, an Eakin role is, is that for you? So I'm going to, I'm going to twist it and say, what would be your, like, if someone gave you a collaboration, what would the shoe be and and why? I got it all figured out. So Nike SB, it would would be with them because when they do a collab with somebody and it's done right, it feels like it's done with them. So um, when I was in third grade, you had to make up a superhero and mine, and I was a chubby kid. So my, uh, my superhero was refrigerator man. And like, he could take food out of him and like throw the food. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So I would have a refrigerator man SB dunk low and it would be like all silver, like a, like a, like a stainless steel appliance on the outside. And on the insole, it would have like 
Um, I remember drawing a drumstick, like he would throw a chicken drumstick and like a slice of pizza. There'd be like little kid drawn like food on the insole and on like the back heel, it would be like barbecue sauce, like bottle and like a ketchup bottle, like random condiments on like the back heel. So it would be the refrigerator man, SB Dunk Low. Coming soon to a skate shop near you. I mean, <laughs> Mork and Mindy Silver, but with black. Okay. And It'll make them easy to get, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do we do we get a pair? Yeah. You two get friends and family. Um, you, you two get the, the old school refrigerator where it's like that off white instead of silver. I already thought about friends and family, dog. I'm ready. Um, so yellow filler. <laughs> ready. Uh, that's awesome, man. I have a top five grails. <laughs> Nick said yes. it'd be hard for him to think of like his top five shoes. Um, I thought of mine really easily. Um, yeah. So let's do it. Let's roll through them. Dun, 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 dun. So, um, top five shoes. If I could yeah, own any, um, and these are in order too. So, uh, number one, if I could own, I, I guess I'll go backwards. Never mind. Uh, honorable mention of the Kith Air Force One that just dropped, like via charity. You know that that drawing like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are so tough. I love Kith. Like my Robbie's uniform is a Kith sweatshirt and Nike pants. So like that Kith Air Force One honorable mention. But uh, <laughs> number five, this uh, Solar Red Easy Two. A lot of people would say Red October, but if I'm going to have a grail, the Red October is too gaudy for me. I think the Solar Red is like the perfect amount of too much. It's like just right there. So Solar Red, easy too. Um, number four, the LeBron 10, what the MVP. Uh, I'm, that shoe release, I still never got a definitive answer on how that released. So I know some outlets got it in like Miami. And I know LeBron's store in Cleveland got them and maybe somewhere in Miami. But that shoe, it kind of released, but it didn't. If I could have any LeBron shoe on earth, it would be the 10, what the MVP, um, no questions asked. Um, number three, we have the Kobe 6 Orange County, which if you've never seen that shoe, it's like an orange sunset gradient fade across the top. Um, the Kobe six in any gradient fade is like a top three shoe to me. I love gradient fades and I love the Kobe six, but the, even now, cause Kobe's passed, I remind you like sunset. So is death and the California, I've watched so many sunsets in California. It's like the most beautiful thing on earth. And it's the, the, the color is just flawless. So a deep cut there, but the Kobe six orange County, um, at number two, Another what the shoe, the what the Kobe eight. That's a shoe that now costs so much damn money that I will never own unless they retro it. So uh, that kind of sucks. So there's another killer execution. I, this, there's nothing more to say about it than I love the way it looks. And the Kobe eight's my favorite Kobe of all time. So it's, it's just the best looking of my favorite model. So no brainer there. And my number one, if I could have any shoe on this green earth, it would be the Colette Air Jordan 1. Uh, the Air Jordan One's my favorite shoe of all time, probably. I go back and forth about that answer. But 
you just can't go wrong with pair of ones. Can't go wrong with white and blue. Can't go wrong with Colette. Can't go wrong with Rarity. Uh, everything about that shoe is A1 perfect. So, top <laughs> five. Definitely so checks all the boxes. <laughs> cool, man. Well, um, I guess the only thing left is let everybody know how to find you and we'll wrap well i'm a child of this earth so you can find me i'm just kidding um so uh you can find me at r-a-h-b-e-e 702 uh, instagram algorithms suck so um go follow me because that's the only way you're going to find me is if you if i tell you so <laughs> yeah <laughs> Right on. Well, uh, we appreciate everybody listening and make sure you follow Sneaker History for more. We will follow up with an episode grilling Mike on his sneaker <laughs> uh, background. And then these guys will grill me on my sneaker background as well. But uh, we just want to give you guys some insight into who we all are. So we figure this is a good time to do that. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Peace. See you. Black Lives Matter. They do. Yep. What up, y'all? This is Nick again. First, I wanted to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. It really means a lot that you would spend a part of your day rocking with us. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a few favors. If you're looking for more content from the Sneaker History crew, head over to patreon.com slash sneakerhistory. Our Patreon members get access to exclusive episodes of the podcast, our latest merch, giveaways, and much more. You can become a member for as little as five bucks a month, and it really goes a long way supporting the crew. Next, make sure you're signed up for our email newsletter. We share updates about the footwear business, some of our favorite finds and deals, and other sneaker-related news a couple times per week. I like to think of it as a one-stop shop for the sneaker game, or at least a work-in-progress one-stop shop for the sneaker game, if you know what I mean. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. Whether online or in person, social distancing in effect, of course, it helps make the sneaker community a better place, and you never know what conversation and opportunity might come from it. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.